2: the industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, May 11th. This is the 105th episode of the series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is an amazing Rome-based journalist, and she has a new book out, and I'm going to introduce her in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip. Later, we will have my speedrun game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to know that there is simply not one way to do anything. We all learn and are, are, and all are taught differently, That's and that's okay. There are many routes to the same goal. So follow your path that works for you, because as they say, all roads lead to Rome. That is my tip today. Now, I'm very thrilled to have my guest here. It is Katie Parla. She is a Rome-based food and beverage educator and journalist. Originally from New Jersey, Katie has written and edited more than 20 books, and her food criticism and travel writing have appeared in The New York Times, The Guardian, Sever, Food and Wine, Nast Traveler, and many more. She is the author of the ebook Eating and Drinking in Rome. Mobile apps Katie Parlor's Rome and Katie Parlor's Istanbul and the book National Geographics Walking Rome. Her cookbook, Tasting Room, Fresh Flavors and Forgotten Recipes from an Ancient City, co-authored with photographer Christina Gill, is on sale now. Hi, Katie. Hello. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for coming out here. I love it. Yeah, no, it's it's I I, I love I've I've run into you here at Roberta's. I I see you you've been out here before, and I, I could see the draw. I least. can
1: actually see my favorite bar stool from the studio. <laughs>
2: Fantastic! Maybe get your name on it. That would be <laughs> ideal. All right, we'll check in with Roberta's later. Let's do it. So um, that was a, a summary of the all the amazing things you've done in your bio, and it's very impressive. I want to start out with. So you're from New Jersey, and. What made you move to, move to Rome, and how did you get started writing about food and, and just getting settled in in Italy?
1: Well, I was born and raised in Central Jersey. My dad has a restaurant in New Brunswick um, that opened when I was in high school, but he always was involved in the restaurant business front of house um, and managed like places all over New Jersey when I was growing up, including Stuff Your Face, which is my favorite name of any restaurant ever. That's a good name in New Brunswick. Big uh, college sports bar. My
2: my cousins live there, but I've never been there. So maybe next time I go out for Passover,
1: I have to go early. And I would say go to to Clyde's, which is my dad's restaurant. Okay. 55 Patterson Street, New Brunswick. Done. Um, But yeah, I think food always has been part of, like, a very, very important part of my life. Uh, My mom is a great cook. She has always been involved in food as well, catered when I was a kid. So food, and especially sort of hospitality, was in my DNA. Um, But I didn't really know that you could do a job that wasn't restaurant-based. So as my interest in Italy started to blossom in high school and then through college, I knew that I wanted to live in Rome. I knew that I wanted to work in sort of some cultural occupation. Um, And when I moved to Rome in 2003, um, I figured that I'd do the art history stuff that I had been obsessed with in college, but instead got really, really distracted by wine and food and all of these new flavors and um, even ingredients that I had never encountered before, I wanted to know everything about them.
2: Right. So I saw in the longer version of your bio that you went, you went to cooking school, or, and you also are certified sommelier.
1: Yeah. So I did my um, som certification through an Italian um, organization called FISAR, and I never have gone to culinary school, but I did my master's in Italian gastronomic okay, that's culture. That's what it was. Yeah. So it was like. I knew that I wanted to take a more academic approach to food writing. Um, there weren't a lot of um, sort of possibilities for that when I was in university in the States. So I was so intrigued by this topic. Like, I can study Italian food. Like, that's a real thing. <laughs> that's a discipline. Right. You can get a master's in that. Like, sign me up. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I did that course in 2007, 2008. And I've been writing seriously about food ever since.
2: Right. So when you first moved to Rome, how did, what, what, how did you how did you start because now you're doing culinary tours and 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 you've written and edited lots of books
1: so but what was the beginning like i mean i moved as a 22 year old recent university graduate with about four thousand dollars in my bank account and i was like i want to live here that's all i know about myself uh, I can live here for like six months or a year, figure, th- figure things out. If it doesn't work out, I'll go back to America. Um, I started teaching um, 14-year-olds the subject of Roman topography, a subject I find fascinating, but 14-year-old spoiled r- rotten brats in Rome, not so interested in it. So I knew that I wanted to sort of talk about Rome, but I wanted to have an interested audience. So I started doing tours, um, private tours, um, with this sort of academic Um, Approach, but that were approachable, um, sort of accessible information for interested travelers. And that sort of led to travel writing, um, writing lots and lots and lots of guidebooks, and then um, focusing more on food. um, As I sort of realized there was a big void in what was available. Um, You had, of course, tons and tons of resources on the forum and the Colosseum and the Vatican Mm -hmm. and all those things, but there really weren't independent sources talking about food. Um, You had a lot of guidebooks Editors would require like, you know, 15 restaurants near the Colosseum, which means that you're going to put in two great restaurants and 13 terrible restaurants, but people are going to see them all sort of mixed together. I wanted to change that.
2: Right. And you have is your when you do your tours is are the people uh, mostly English speaking Italian? I'm assuming you Italian is is much better
1: than mine. <laughs> I <laughs> did study it <laughs> a long so. time ago. <laughs> <laughs> um the uh, yeah, I mean most of my tours are in English. I do sometimes do tours in Italian, but most of my most of my clients are English speaking people, mm-hmm. couples or families, sometimes solo travelers from the US or um, Australia, um, Israel, Denmark, I mean you name it. The English is spoken, I'm your gal.
2: Right. <laughs> Yeah, no, and I did understand non so see. Si. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I can pick up little phrases and things, but but yeah, um I studied I, I did a semester in Florence when I was awesome. in college and at that time I was sort of speaking a little bit, but I've I've lost it. But I can kind of like pick it up.
1: Yeah, it's definitely one of those active process things. I've been on on book tour for like seven weeks and I have been speaking Italian occasionally, but I start finding myself like what is that obvious word that I'm trying to come up with that I use all the right. time that's vanished in like under two months for my brain? Not a good scene.
2: Yeah, well, it will, it will, it will definitely, it will come back because I'm assuming <laughs> you're
1: going back to Rome in a week.
2: Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess we jump ahead to to your book tour a little bit. Um, what's that been like? I mean, this new book, it, it's beautiful, Tasting Rome. Um, I have a copy here, and just flipping through it, it's just, it's just a I mean, it's a it's a beautiful book to have as a coffee table book. But then the recipes and the 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 stories you've told with it, um, like what inspired you to write this book at this time?
1: Well, I mean, I think that for the past half decade or so, I've been documenting some really interesting things about Roman food culture and giving a voice to the cooks and chefs and bakers and um, you know, gelato makers that otherwise. One wouldn't be able to have a connection to because they're in their workshops, they're in their kitchens. So I really wanted I knew exactly what I wanted to say with this book. And I wanted people to have access to the sort of variety of realities um, that exist in Rome. I mean, the, the historical center is not the only place in town. It's a really, really tiny fraction of the city and the, the city that Christina Gill Um, And I live is a totally different place than than the sort of romantic stereotype implies. So the desire was to showcase what people are eating, the good things that people are eating, the great things that people are drinking, and to give attention to the people that are doing great food. So I worked really closely with bartenders and chefs for for the purpose of sort of taking their recipes and adapting them to uh, an American series of quantities (laughs) and ingredients. So the
2: recipes are variations of maybe restaurant
1: recipes or people you've met? Yeah, Uh, I mean, a lot of them, especially like the pastas, are recipes from particular chefs. Um, And, yeah, I mean, the, the sort of process of writing the book was, you know, 13 years of researching Roman food, both casually as well as academically, but then also going into kitchens with Flavio De Maio from Flavio Velo or Leonardo Vignoli from Cesare del Casaretto, spending time with them, understanding what, what choices they were making in order to produce a particular version of carbonara or cacio e pepe, because um, there's not just one recipe for things and I mean honestly the world does not need my carbonara recipe the world needs Flavio's recipe right Flavio's made millions probably of carbonaras in his lifetime um, maybe not hundreds of thousands let's say um, and that is such an important thing I mean I think providing a, a direct connection between a, an experience in Rome um, and a home kitchen in the US or wherever you happen to be cooking is like is so vital um, and I wanted I wanted to make that connection and to continue to forge those connections between readers and people making great food in Rome.
2: Yes, I, I saw that there were some recipes that did um, highlight the chef, the, or it was the chef's recipe. And then there was sections of the book. I mean, that it was just intriguing that there's a whole section on Cucina Ab- abraca. Embraica. Abraica. Yeah, the Jewish right. cuisine of Rome. Yeah, which which I thought was great. There was a whole section on that the ghetto cuisine, I think you call it. And there was uh the the quinto quarto.
1: Yes, all the guts and pork cuts.
2: Right. No, I think no, and I think traditionally when you when you flip through or you you have cookbooks, you know, it's more your appetizers, your entrees, your
1: you know, but yeah, you totally. I like I like the different chapters that you've done. I mean, totally. I mean, I thought I I know that that the sort of ideas that Romans or Italians eat antipasto, then primo and secondo. People don't eat that way anymore. Um, I mean, certainly not at home. Definitely not when they're going out to expensive restaurant meals. People stick to a, you know, a couple of plates rather than the whole shebang. And I wanted to sort of give attention to these minority cuisines, whether it's the Libyan Jewish tradition in Rome, um, or even to a certain extent, the Quinto Quarto. Although it's very present in Rome, the you know, people consume poor cuts and an awful in like lesser quantities all the time. So I wanted to be able to document delicious versions of things and even dishes that have virtually vanished from tables, but I think have a story to tell about the city and its food culture.
2: Yeah, no, I think that's important. Um, and it's, a, it, and, and it is a mix. I mean, there is the cache e pepe and, you know, more traditional things or even I think marinated olive oil olives that yeah. you have and things that I think are more, traditional or, or people are more you know uh, familiar with and yeah, then I mean, the classics yeah. are in there
1: but there are mm-hmm. also some things that you might not necessarily expect that uh, that other books haven't documented yet and i think that's one of the things that makes tasting rome really special and makes it not sort of the run-of-the-mill cucina romana cookbook and it's so amazing because we've got a lot of brilliant women writing about food and in, in in italy and like rachel roddy's book sort of takes a um it's called my kitchen in rome takes A particular neighborhood and a set of experiences and really dives deeply into that. And Tasting Rome, on the other hand, is like a sort of panorama of um, Roman food culture beyond Testaccio, beyond the historical center, really covering um, what I think are the most important features of the city's um, dining culture.
2: Yes, I'm sitting here thinking I need to plan my next trip to Rome. Do it. I approve. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> okay, we're going to take a little break here and come back, talk more with Katie. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Okay, welcome back to All the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Katie Parla. She's a Rome-based food and beverage edu- educator and journalist. And she has a new book that we've been talking about called Tasting Rome. I also saw that Mario Batali wrote your foreword. Yeah, MB. Pretty
1: cool. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, he is rad. <laughs> I'm psyched. He is rad. <laughs>
2: Yes. And he thinks you are rad, which you are. And no, it's, um, impressive.
1: impressive. Yeah. I'm, I am just so grateful for his support. Yeah. He's amazing. Yeah. It's great.
2: So how's this book tour been going? Cause you've been,
1: you've been, you've been on the road for how long now? It's mental. Like I don't even know since like 2014. <laughs> um, it's been, so I've been in 19 cities. I've got, f- uh, four more left, three more left. Um, I don't know what day it is. Uh, yeah. I'm having difficulty packing my luggage, but right. I'm having a really fun time selling lots of books and meeting tons of people. And above all, connecting with like chefs that I really, really admire uh, and who have been inc- incredibly generous in um, collaborating with me to support Tasting Rome so it's been a joyful endeavor.
2: Yeah, well, it's from just following your social media and seeing where you've been, it seems like you're collaborating with a lot of chefs and doing dinners.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are probably 22 dinners and then a ton of other events on that 22 city itinerary. Every dinner's different um, and the sort of point was to provide each restaurant with an opportunity to like have sort of change of pace or maybe explore a topic that they couldn't otherwise explore on their regular menu because maybe it's offal heavy or just sort of off-brand, um, or to sort of celebrate a, a theme that they're excited about and want to know more about and, you know, gives the kitchen a, a, a chance to learn some historical things about Roman food. And a lot of the places I've been um, collaborating with have, have a sort of Roman theme. But, of course, can't be strictly Roman because you can't have a Roman trattoria in America. I mean, Roman trattorias don't even exist in Naples, though you can call them Roman trattorias. Right. The trattoria experience is very much rooted in the city of Rome. So you can have like a trattoria in Phoenix or San Francisco that's inspired by Rome, but you can't serve Roman food there because if you serve like a slab of... Um, lamb with no sides and no garnishes as you would have it in Rome. People would just like freak out (laughs) and it it wouldn't fly. There would be protests.
2: (laughs) Well, what is it about Rome that that excites you or draws you there versus a Florence or
1: a Milan or Sicily? You know? Yeah, I mean, I love Sicily so much and Milan. I'm not such a fan of Florence, um, frankly. Um, But what what Rome is for me is this incredibly ancient city that was like an... A completely unhealthy, malarial, snake-infested swamp at its birth, um, you know, in the Iron Age, and then became this capital of an empire with an incredibly cosmopolitan food culture, that then sort of slid into uh, a dark, a cultural darkness, and returned to its swampy features, and then sort of rose again in the Renaissance. It's got the sort of all the cycles of human civilization and the archaeology to go along with it, and. That always fascinates me. Um, I love, I love history. I love ancient sculpture. I love you know, medieval mosaics. Um, so you know, between meals, I occasionally go look at. <laughs> things you can't eat. <laughs> I hear
2: you. No, it's true. What about Roman food? I mean, is there a particular dish
1: or something that that you your favorite or or you know yeah. that what is it? Gricia is my favorite thing. Gricia is pasta that's tossed with. Um, generally, guanciale, so cured pork jowl that's been sort of cooked and rendered. Um, it's like very unctuous fat is used to coat the pasta. There's also pecorino romano cheese and black pepper in it. It's a really simple classic. It's um, it's very very Roman, but it's not something that has really been fully embraced. And I actually find it very difficult to find in the U. S. But I'm I'm trying to change that by constantly talking about it and like peer pressuring people into putting it on their menus
2: not working. <laughs> I don't know if anyone can do it. You can do it. <laughs>
1: I'm dedicated.
2: <laughs> Let me ask you the question I had from my last guest on episode 104. I had on Alex McCreary and Jenny Goodman of Tillet Chef Goods. And Jenny asked, since you've been traveling through the US on your book tour, are there any food trends that you have spotted in the States that have have long been part of the Roman cult- culinary landscape?
1: Yeah, I mean, for sure, there is a big cacio e pepe thing happening in America right now, and every, every sort of Rome-inspired place, and then even some sort of pan-Italian places are serving cacio e pepe. They they execute it much differently than you would I- encounter the dish in Rome. Um, often butter is introduced, and like the consistency isn't usually isn't quite as like tight as you could encounter in in Rome, but it's everywhere.
2: Um, yeah, I, I definitely see that on menus.
1: Yeah. And it's not a trend yet, but it's going to be that um, the Roman style pizza al taglio, the pizza by the slice, that's sort of popping up here and there. Um, And I think, you know, as Americans become more open to different approaches to pizza rather than just their sort of strictly regional ones, um, we're going to see, I think, some cities steering away from like the $2 slice and towards the more sort of gourmet pizza by the slice that you might find in a place like Pizzarium in Rome.
2: Right. I don't know if this is Roman at all, but I was just thinking how Polly G Polly G.'s out in, mm-hmm. in Greenpoint is opening a pizza slice pa- place versus his place.
1: But. Is it a triangular slice?
2: You know, I'm not
1: sure. But the, the Roman, you're talking
2: about squares, though.
1: Yeah, so like Roman pizza by the slice is that long rectangular sheet pan baked pizza or even like a right. long oblong slab that's sliced and, and served yeah. by weight. So you don't pay like two dollars a slice. You pay right. like whatever the weight is times the per kilo.
2: Yeah, no, cost. I remember that. I, I feel like it's kind of, kind of like a focaccia.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, Roman pizza al taglio, especially the um, the pizza bianca that you might find, mm-hmm. is it, it would be called focaccia in other regions, but. Um, I mean, one place that does a really, really awesome version of Roman pizza al taglio is Sullivan Street Bakery. Um, oh, there, right. I mean, mm-hmm. Jim Leahy is obviously a super genius, awesome person. And Brilliant Baker also studied in Rome and learned uh, Roman technique as well as sort of the Roman approach to serving food. Um, so I just love going to his spot for Pizza rossa or Pizza Bianca, the simplest of Rome's flatbreads.
2: Yeah, no, I haven't. I, I recently have been seeing Jim a lot of Jim, but I haven't been to... Um, his place but I'm I'm visualizing it
1: right now as you're speaking it yeah it's super it's just really simple it's a flatbread sometimes you put toppings on it sometimes you don't
2: yeah yeah (laughs) well that's the thing with Italian cuisine I mean it's known for being I I guess I'll say it like simple you know the simple ingredients but using high quality ingredients
1: yeah I think that's what it's known for but in the past decade or so Using high quality ingredients has become so prohibitively expensive that if, if restaurants want to have any type of margin, um, especially in like the post-lira European Union Euro zone, they have to cut somewhere, and often that's on the high quality ingredients. It's unfortunate, but it's a uh, it's a reality. Sorry, right. <laughs> Don't, don't, but don't simplic- apologize to me. You're right. Simplicity is is certainly, I think, what is really amazing about. You know, dining in Rome and, and I had a really fantastic event with uh, Chris Bianco and Tony Andiaro and his team at the Nutrato in Phoenix and like one of the desserts and Chris, Chris and the team totally get it. One of the desserts was just like nectarines and strawberries. That's it. Just served on a platter with ice. Like that is, I, I, I've been enjoying my time in the States, but I can't wait to get back to Rome for a simple bowl of cherries for dessert. I mean that is yeah. the sort of apex of joy in in a in the stone fruit season which is nearly upon us.
2: Yes. True. So how do you balance all of this? Culinary tours, writing books, going on book tours? Like, and, and, and also then what's next, you know, I'm sure you, you, are you doing another app?
1: (laughs) No, God, no. Oh God. The app thing is, it's, there's a reason that individuals don't develop apps. It's like a nightmare. Um, Though I definitely plan to put out new updates for my apps. I won't be developing a third. Um, How do I balance everything? I don't, Uh, I don't sleep enough. (laughs) I'm constantly exhausted. And uh, I think I feel like a real urgency to do as much as i can um because there's so many stories to tell um so i think in terms of the sort of like next steps anything anything that i'm going to be doing any significant project in the future i really want it to be focusing on some of the same themes of of tasting rome sort of pinpointing who's doing great stuff and transporting their stories to people abroad Um, because there are some people in italy who appreciate what food artisans are doing, but a lot of people just simply can't afford to eat well anymore, so they choose the supermarket route so um and then, yeah, I guess like another thing that I need to do is find that balance since I'm obviously not like really well, doing it right now
2: but but <laughs> you 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 i think you've you have figured out how to create this this career where it's it's you know a girl from New Jersey's oh, yeah. been living in rome since 2003 you know Mm -hmm. and so and you've you've become the go-to the the culinary the the you know the the expert on roman cuisine and yeah no i think it's i think it's amazing so you're doing it you know it's as i said impressive yeah
1: Yeah. thanks no i mean i think balance to me sort of means like finding time for like self-care and like running and maybe like i don't know um shopping like doing things that like normal humans do yeah doing something that doesn't totally relate to the industry
2: i find that that i'm always everything's social work connected and i can't i can't separate because it's a fun industry to be a part of
1: i think i don't want to separate it so maybe i'm not going to do that i don't know we'll see
2: (laughs) running's good i like running (laughs) okay we're gonna take another break here come back we're gonna do my speed round game and talk some industry news it's all in the industry on heritage radio network Okay, we're back. This is all in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Katie Parla. It's time for my speed round game. So what this I'm is, ready. is, I'm going to name a couple of things, either or situation. You just pick your preference. Got it. Cool. I love these. Great. Here we go. Eat in or eat out? Out. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Beer. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Both. No, I have to pick. Small plates. <laughs> you're, you're fast, though. Communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. Trevi Fountain or Bethesda Fountain? Bethesda Fountain. I don't even know what that is. It's in Central Park. Okay, yeah, that one.
1: <laughs> Fuck the Trevi Fountain. I wasn't sure if you knew, but I threw it in there, because I don't know that many fountains.
2: Um, going on a book tour or giving a culinary
1: tour? Oh man, a culinary tour. I, th- I love both, but culinary tour. Okay. It's so joyous. Two more cheese plate or dessert? Cheese plate.
2: Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Rome? Rome. Done. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I, Brooklyn. And Manhattan. Uh, you were like, I've, what, uh, this is my 105th episode? Like,
1: Congratulations think, on that, by thank the way. You. That's so awesome. Thank you. But I'm
2: saying it because, like, I think you were like the, the quickest. I, I, I've done this a lot. That was and I'm like not even speed. caffeinated. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Great job. Thank you. Okay, so industry news. Uh, figured this was fitting that the Pete Wells and the New York Times reviewed an Italian restaurant today. Cafe Altro Paradiso gave it two stars. And um, the title was, Looks Aren't Everything at Cafe Altro Paradiso. Basically, he was saying, I don't know, the food to him wasn't that pretty or... Photographable, but he thought it tasted delicious. And um, this is from the Estella team, mm-hmm. uh, chef and owner Ignacio Matos
1: and business partner Thomas Carter, their new place. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was so interesting because the the thing that seemed the most Italian to me about the description of the food was its lack of, like, photogen... its lack of aesthetics. Yeah. The dishes didn't sound Italian to me at all. They sound Italy-inspired. So, I mean, I, I always sort of question where people are are getting their ideas about Italian food from. They tend to be based not on sort of really solid experience, but sort of like their, their idea of Italy. And the idea of Italy works a lot better here in the States than right. actual Italy.
2: Yeah, no, that's interesting. I've been now, I've popped in now twice. I actually did one of my solo dining experiences there. At the bar, they have a really great bar. It's good for solo diners, and um, I had the fennel salad. I've had the octopus, like dishes to me that are a little more. I mean, it's like, I guess it could be Italian, but a little more Mediterranean in mm-hmm. a sense. Their preparation, and I haven't had the pasta, even though he was talking about it. The pasta sizes are were small, mm-hmm. and I think that's meant-
1: definitely not Italian yeah. <laughs> anymore. That's like Italian circa 1980, right? Now the portions are huge.
2: Yeah, but I, I like the I. I think if I had realized they were, for me as a solo diner, knowing they were smaller portions would have been good because mm-hmm. I skipped it because I didn't want to fill up on a giant pasta. Yeah. Um, but I think they're looking at it more as a mid-course. Uh, totally. So.
1: I'm excited to try it. I would definitely be down. And a lot of those things sounded super delicious to me, especially the fish with the mayo thing going on.
2: Yeah. No, I'm happy for them. It's a. It was a great review. And uh, pe-
1: yeah. So Estella is still killing it.
2: Oh, yes. Crushing it. Yes, definitely. Okay. Other article that caught my eye this week because it's been a hot topic. So on Eater, we have Gabe Stolman reverses no tipping policy, brings back gratuities at Fedora. And this is by Ryan Sutton. So the tipping thing, talking a lot about it. So um, Gabe Stolman has... A handful of restaurants in the West Village, and he's a great restaurateur, and he, for four months, has been doing no tipping, and he's decided to reverse it because it's just it, 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 it's not working, even though he wants it to work, and sure. I think to make it work, he was saying he would have to either raise prices more or cut wages, and he's just not comfortable doing either of those at this time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely what he what he says echoes what a lot of his colleagues are saying and it would be wonderful to be able to provide like a dignity-based um revenue for people working in the kitchen and to have incomes be more balanced like that is the goal it's not working right now it's very difficult to make it work right now and like the complexity of the implementing new systems and things and really sort of socializing diners to the new reality is going to take time so i'm as he is hopeful that we can go to the no tipping policy in the future. But right now it's, I think it's just, it's complex.
2: It is. It's very complex. And about thinking it was probably about when he was in it for about two months, there was a talk at Journey, uh, a panel discussion that he was on, on tipping. And he was saying it was about perception and and, and va- of value. Sure. And just, and he gave this great example how people, you know, seeing a burger on a menu and just the cost of it being, I forget, what it was, $26 versus being $19, and them just not getting the the value of it, realizing even though he was very transparent about no tipping, no tipping through the whole meal, but still, when you look at a menu and you see that price, you forget that you're not gonna be leaving a tip, and so you it appears like you're spending more when really you're either spending the same amount or less,
1: but you know, people are very comfortable eating food that they perceive as having value um, and divorcing it from the labor involved. They're very satisfied doing that, which is why we have so many issues in agriculture and food service with people not being um, paid properly.
2: Right. Well, but being in, in Rome, I mean, with you're not dealing with tipping and do you notice a difference of service in Italy than in the U.S.?
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely in, in Rome in particular, if you're a regular, you are VIP um, across the board. And if you're a, fo- a foreign traveler, God forbid, from America, like you um, can often be completely dismissed as not understanding anything. And, you know, you won't get the specials read to you and you'll have a different experience. Um, but this happens even to like Milanese people coming to Rome. Um, but the wages in Italy are extremely low. Your average server probably earns between 9 11200 euros a month net which is not quite enough to live in a an expensive city and kitchen workers make less so i mean i think that there's room for improvement but it requires an investment on the part of um the consumer and consumers want to keep their money unfortunately <laughs> not put it back into the economy
2: yes well i um this this story this tipping story and and what what the industry is going to do it will keep unfolding and definitely we will be following it here on all in the industry. <laughs> no, it's uh it's it's um it's big changes. So um now typically I take a little break here and uh, we do my solo dining. But since you have to run off to your dinner, I think we will do our final question now and um and go from there. So on my next show I'm having Herb Carlitz. He's the CEO and founder of Carlitz and Company, which is lifestyle influencers and tastemakers that create event experiences. And um, he's also the founder of Harlem Eat Up, which is a four-day festival taking place May 19th and 22nd in Harlem, um, celebrating the food and culture of the the, the uptown area. So um, Katie, can you ask a question for her?
1: Herb, I really wish that I could be there, but since I can't, how would you suggest that a a visitor enjoy the culture of Harlem and its food um, after the event closes? Like, how can you sort of bring that to your everyday experience in in Harlem, that spirit?
2: That's a great question. Thank
1: you. I really wish I could be there. It sounds amazing. Yeah,
2: this is the second year I think they're doing it, and... um... No, it's exciting. There's big changes that have been happening in Harlem and uh, in the food scene and, and else other areas. So
1: Totally. Um, so great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so delighted to see you. And I'm looking at my bar stool. Unfortunately, I won't be able to go over there. I'm going to a dinner at Frankie's tonight to celebrate Tasting Rome.
2: Yes, as you as you should. And I say next time you're back in New York City, let me know and I'll meet you at your bar stool and you we'll, we'll share some pizza. Fantastic. So, Thanks so much. I will give the every, everyone listening um, information about where to get your book and your websites at the end of the show. Super. Okay, so we're going to take one more break. Come back and do my solo dining experience. This is all in the in- industry on Heritage Radio Network. Ciao. Ciao. <laughs> Ciao.
1: If I come into a party hitting wrecks like this All you superficial rockers will cease to exist If I come into a party hitting wrecks like this All you superficial rockers will cease to exist If I come into a party
2: hitting wrecks like this All you superficial rockers will cease to exist On Tuesday, May 17th, please join Snacky Tunes for the 9th Annual Barbecue Blowout. Our inaugural chefs are Kings County Imperial with Beats and Rhythms by Domino Records. Tickets are $10 in advance at bbqblowoutmay2016.eventbrite.com. Tickets include a plate of food and a complimentary Brooklyn brewery. We're happy to announce returning partners of Nikki Digital and Heritage Radio Network. We hope to see you there. All right, welcome back to On the Industry. I'm Sherry Bayer, and uh, it's time for my solo dining, but first, I'm going to do um, a little more industry news that I had. So last night was the New York City Hospitality Alliance Awards, and this is the first time they did this award program. And so the New York City Hospitality Alliance is a member-based association founded in 2012 that aims to foster the growth and vitality of the hospitality industry. And um, so they had this award ceremony last night at Marquee Nightclub. And um, it was a fabulous gathering. Andrew Riggi, who actually came on my episode six, it was a long time ago, but episode six, Andrew Riggi, he's the executive director of the NYC Hospitality Alliance, and he led it, and um, yeah, it's great. They're doing these this new new awards for the industry. So a couple highlights, there was um, the Big Apple Legacy Award, which went to Jeffrey Bank the, of the a la carte restaurant group. And there was the Next Generation Award. John Meadow got that from LDV Hospitality Group. And the Night Owl Bar Award went to Employees Only. So if you want to check out more information about, about that, you can go to their website, thenycalliance.org. Congratulations to all the winners and everyone participating. Um, it was a nice, it was a nice uh, event last night. Glad to be there. Okay, so time for my solo dining experience. This week it's at Cotonia, because I'm keeping with the Italian theme. So here's the rundown. Location, 490 Pacific Avenue in San Francisco, California. The concept, a celebration of rustic Italian cuisine, offering a daily changing menu of wood-fired pizzas, house-made pastas, and more. The chef, Michael Tusk of Quince, a celebrated fine dining establish- establishment located next door. So why did I go? Well, this was when I was en route to Worlds of Flavor Conference in Napa, and it seemed totally reasonable to stop in San Francisco for a good Italian meal. My experience. So I arrived a little bit early from my lunch reservation, and I was seated right away at a nice two-top by the windows. I asked my server for some recommendations of any not-to-miss items, and he was helpful. What did I get? So I had the antipasti, which was asparagus, farm egg, and fontina, and primi raviola di rocota, which is their special. And I had a nice tea. My take, super seasonal and fresh asparagus topped with an oozing egg and fontina cheese. It was a fabulous way to eat your vegetables. It was quite rich, as was my giant raviolo, which was heavenly. I would say it's a must order. The ambiance. It was a warm setting with rustic woods and lots of natural light. I'd say it's perfect for a meal with friends or going solo. They have a great bar. And uh, interesting tidbit. So among many accolades, Cotonia was honored as best new restaurant in America by Esquire magazine in 2011 and received three and a half stars by the San Francisco Chronicle that same year personal fun fact, which is more of a interesting fact, I don't know how fun it is. But I chatted with my server about the SF mandate charge on my bill, which was $2.10. So I learned that that's part of healthy San Francisco requiring employees to provide health care for their employees, employers to find health care for their employees. Um, So it was interesting to see what policies are being implemented in other states. The cost was forty-three dollars, not including tax, the mandate, and gratuity. Would I go back when in San Francisco? Yes, I would. Their website is cotonia sf.com. So we've done the final questions, so I'm just gonna wrap things up. I'd like to thank my guest, Katie Parla. She is a Rome-based food beverage educator and journalist who has a new book, Tasting Rome. You can Find out about the book at TastingRomeCookbook.com. You can find out about her and all the amazing tours and things she does in Rome at KatieParla.com. And on social media, that's at Katie Parla, And it's Katie with the, It's K-A-T-I-P-A-R-L-A. Now you can find me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry, and at Heritage underscore Radio. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My website is com and SherryBayer.com. As a reminder, all of our shows are archived at org. We are on Stitcher and iTunes. You can leave a review on iTunes. I would love that. I would love to get some more feedback, so please feel free to do that. Next week, I will be back at 4 o'clock with Herb Carlitz. Thanks to my engineer, David. Thanks to Katie, and thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Sherry Bayer. Thanks for being part of All in the Industry. Bye.